So welcome everyone. Monday, November 21st, another day in paradise. We got a terrific room in store. Lisa Franks is going to be with us. It's the first time she's actually been in a Twitter space. So uh, I told her no, no sweat. She's going to love it and teach you guys a lot. She's um, known Lisa for a bunch of years from my Boston days. We had a lot of stock idea dinners together and she was usually the smartest cookie in the room. So I'm really, really amped up that um, she's agreed to uh, drop in today and uh, spare, share her wisdom with us. Um, we will, I'll put some stuff up in the nest, but she had given me some graphs, by the way, which are in my Twitter feed. I'll put them up in the nest. So when we're talking later and I see Bitfinex is with us today. And so maybe after Lisa speaks, um, he can weigh in on, uh, recent developments, uh, and things crypto. This is our custom, our newly adopted custom, just this date in history very quickly. For those of us who don't read enough history, yours truly certainly uh, counts himself in that uh, category. On this day in 1620, uh, 40 male passengers prior to landing at Plymouth Mast signed the Mayfair Compact. Hmm, who knew? 1694, French philosopher Voltaire was born. And in 1964, the Verrazano Narrows Bridge was built. God, time flies. I, uh, I can remember that like it was yesterday. I was living in New Jersey. I can't believe it was 48 years ago. In any event, another interesting market day in the markets today. Um, can't say I'm surprised. For those of you that were uh, in the room yesterday, we had an ad hoc uh, room where we just kind of let it rip. I just couldn't take any more of all the nonsense uh, that was that's going on in markets with crypto and everything else. And I'm glad Bitfinex is here to weigh in on some of that. Um, you know, <laughs> predictions, making predictions is difficult, you know, especially about the future, as Yogi Berra once said. Um, and I, I don't try to get the short term in markets. I'm no good at it. Um, but we've been pretty good this year at getting the intermediate and longer term uh, outlook. That being said, though, uh, part of the reason I did the space yesterday was I just thought things had come to a head. And, um, you know, you can hold me to it, but I, I think the market looks pretty shaky here for the rest of the year. Uh, I would uh, actually press shorts, increase hedges. Again, this is not investment advice. And so usually the fool's errand to call the market in the short run, but for whatever it's worth, uh, we had that epic squeeze uh, a couple weeks ago. Squeeze ended last week. Uh, yeah, I believe we go back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, there are a lot of sharp cookies out there on, in the Twitter sphere who have followed liquidity numbers better than I. But some have pointed out that the uh, you know the sort of glacial pace of the shrinking of the Fed's balance sheet has been more than offset by um, the rundown of the TGA account and also the reserve repo. And so net-net, the government out of all pockets has actually been adding liquidity the last few weeks. If you hold them to their word, not that I would, but in theory, there's the TGA account supposed to go back up before the end of the year, and um, the Fed balance sheet's supposed to continue to reduce. So at the margin, uh, the market's benefited from increasing liquidity the last few weeks. I would expect it to reverse. You combine that with the fact that the uh, Fed uh, now GDP uh, tracker, the Atlanta Fed uh, GDP now tracker, is tracking over 4% uh, for the fourth quarter. Uh, so with the strongest economy, um, 
inflation maybe it's peaked, but explain to me again why bond yields are going to go down. I think we already had the bond bond rally. And as I've said many times in this room over the course of the last year, stocks are slaves to the bond market. So if you got yields flat to up, contracting liquidity, the strongest economy, yeah, I know housing sucks, but a lot of the rest of the economy is doing pretty well. Wage gains still accelerating. Um, add to that, we have Fed minutes is coming Wednesday. And I expect in December, you're going to see a reacceleration of redemption pressures for funds. The China lockdown situation is fluid. Who the heck knows? Do not rely on this sort of lazy stockbroker economics, CNBC nonsense. Oh, seasonality, the market goes up, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't predict anything. And again, adding that all together, even if I'm wrong, with earnings estimates, uh, you know, Nancy Lazar at 180, Michael uh, Wilson at 195. If you just plug in a 190 or 200, if you want, EPS number for 2022, 23, marks on 19, 20 times earnings. That would be the most expensive valuation level, which the market ever bottomed. So I don't think we're close to a bottom. I think this has got a lot further to go. Um, at any rate, enough of that. So we're very uh, pleased to have with us uh, Lisa Franks. Um, part of LM Frank's Capital, probably one of the most sharpest, best money managers you've never heard heard of. It's her first time on Twitter. I'm really excited. I know Lisa; she's really sharp. And um, so let's get into it. So, Lisa, please unmute yourself. Welcome to the space, Lisa. No, thanks very much, George. That's great. So we can we can hear you fine. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. So, Lisa, maybe um, without telling your entire life story. Um, yeah. Maybe just give a little context to where you're coming from. Is uh, for those of you that know Lisa, she she got her start. She went to all the right schools. She went to that school up in Boston and Cambridge. I forget the name of it, but <laughs> but Lisa, maybe start maybe start with your professional career. How you got where you started, how you got to where you are. That might be interesting for the for the folks in the room. Yeah, no, not a problem. Um, so yes, uh, uh, after business school, um, I went to London and started at JP Morgan in the currency derivative desk, which really was the heyday of derivatives. And it got me locked into and fascinated by the world of macro. Um, without understanding of the macro, you couldn't really um, advise clients what, what currency to choose to swap in. Um, as well as um, the interest rate cycle to look at the duration of the swap that you were structuring. So I really uh, fell in love with the macro. I did that for five years, um, but then came back to Boston and was lucky enough to work at State Street um, on the bank side. And um, really State Street was the pioneer of investor behavior because of its vast quantity of uh, custodial flows. Every day they were able to capture what was being bought, what was being sold, and you could see regimes being formed that were tied to the macro environments. And we packaged up these custodial flows and sold them to hedge funds because they were diversifying to price. And again, I had 10 years there that um, furthered my love of macro and understanding of it to try to add alpha to our clients. Um, and really, investor behavior is about, it's like what Warren Buffett says, you've got to be uh, fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful so that 
um, uh, at State Street, I really got locked into looking at price and statistical distributions and looking at tails. You know, you want to buy in the bottom tail, you want to sell in the top tail, unless things are formulating such that you can create a new distribution. Um, maybe the macro environment's allowing that. Um, maybe there's a technological um, innovation that allows the price to continue to ascend. Um, and so it's those 15 years that formed my love of macro. And then I took a break um, to start a consumer products company because I was a little bit burnt out, but I got back into um, investing uh, from the buy side. So I switched from the sell side to the buy side in 2014, where I was asked to um, start an RIA. And uh, it was a fascinating experience, um, but I did that for about four years. But I left because um, I, I just was very dissatisfied with our industry and how the buy side is um, really driven to hug benchmarks and certainly active managers uh, at that time, um, and I think is true today. Uh, it was very, very difficult to beat passive benchmarks because they were charging fees, they were hugging benchmarks. Um, I know, for example, that one of the leading investment banks on the asset side uh, here in Boston can only go 10% beyond the benchmark allocation for any sector. And so um, I chose to leave in 2018 and started my own uh, registered, uh, registered investment advisor and have been doing that uh, have been doing that since. And right. So 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 Lisa, I know uh, as RIA you're not at liberty to uh, discuss performance people. And by the way, everyone's asking what your Twitter handle is. I believe it's what at LM Frank's Capital uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah cuz I cuz I know you you had this sort of dormant Twitter account. You just you just reactivated it. But rumor rumor has it and Lisa, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but uh, I have good reason to believe that over the last the rumor I heard was over the last 5 or 6 years you've You've, your return has been more than double the S and P. So, um, so, 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 so good on you. So, everyone, pay attention. Lisa knows what she's doing. So, all right. So, so, Lisa. So, that's a terrific background. So, um, and one of the things I like about you and I always hit it off really well in conversations over dinner because, you know, as you say, you 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 eschew indexation. Um, you call them like you see them, and you always have a variant perception. So. Explain so, Lisa. You know, it's funny. I can remember being at dinners with you, you know, a couple, two, three years back, and you come up with these crazy tech ideas, which I would never buy because they're too expensive. But man, they went up. It's all full of momentum, and and I know you pay attention to technicals as well. So explain. You were, you were. I mean, look, there were some people who were, you know, did well when, 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 when in Tina, and they're getting destroyed now. And there were some people who got destroyed in Tina and are doing well now. But there are very mm -hmm. few people who did well in that regime and are doing now well in this regime. So can you explain how you managed to shift? Because I'm really impressed by that mental flexibility. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so so since 2009, and I only really entered in equities in 2014, but locked and loaded in 2013 was the start of a new bull market if you measure piercing a previous high. So I was fortunate to 
um, uh, really believe in a growth environment. Um, so, so post-World War II, it was the weakest um, uh, growth period from a GDP standpoint. Um, and that certainly favored um, growth and TINA. So there is no alternative to equities, fine. Um, and if you had the dividend yield of the S&P being greater than Fed funds rate, um, you can't say it's a free lunch, but it certainly pays to be in equities. Uh, and so I have, um, uh, I was wedded to uh, technology. Um, I even put my kids' Mitzvah accounts in the triple Qs. Um, to me, there was no other um, uh, sector that I thought would uh, outperform in a low inflationary, low interest rate environment. Um, 2021, um, I have to say, it was, I struggled a little bit that year um, because everything was changing. Um, you had value and growth having a massive struggle, um, but all of a sudden in January of 2022, when Powell testified and said that inflation was no longer transitory, I mean, we've had super high inflation um, for, for the second half of 21, but we had a dismal report in December, a dismal report in January. Lisa, you broke up. Can you hear us? Yes. Lisa? Yeah. Are you getting phone calls or something interrupting? Yeah, I was getting phone calls and I... Yeah, you know what you should do when you get those the way Twitter works, just hit the hit the hit the red button, ignore the call because otherwise it messes up the whole thing. Okay, actually, um, right. I'm going to have my daughter put on Do Not Disturb so it doesn't do this. As you can see, I'm a little bit technologically challenged. <laughs> don't 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 worry, you're in good company. Okay. So don't don't feel don't feel badly. Just don't answer the phone if somebody no, calls. No, no, that's no. All, I, that's I thought, all I thought it was Xing them out. So I right. think in, in January 2022 was incredibly seminal because you had the Fed admit that they were no longer going to have interest rates held at the floor. And as a result, in my mind, I was like, this is game over. Growth is going to get crushed. Um, and uh, I needed a I, I needed to sell everything. I'm a long only manager. I need to own stuff. And I had to look to see what sectors I thought were going to um, uh, outperform in a sticky inflationary environment. We had employment was doing great. Wages were doing fine. They're not going to back away. They're going to um, buy rents. Uh, they're going to, um, you know, continue to purchase things as long as they could. But technology, consumer discretionary, um, in my mind, they were no longer going to lead. Were they going to go up another 10 times like they did from 2009? I did not think so. And so what I ended up doing is I sold all my tech. I sold every consumer discretionary stock I had. I sold small caps. And the reason is, is because we had a regime change. And so what I did is I looked at energy and energy actually was starting to outperform technology in 2021. But really, when I looked in January 2022, the lofty valuations, we had five stocks that were 
25% of the S&P 500. That just showed me that the inflated bubble associated with passive investing was vast. I sat on a endowment board and what endowments do, as I'm sure many of you know, is they don't try to mess with their allocation to the S&P 500. They end up actually just buying a Vanguard and they look to, you know, add in international managers, hedge funds, lots of alternatives, energy. But when it comes to the S&P 500, you're buying the Vanguard or a low load fund and you're riding the wave. And so for five stocks to be 25% of the S&P 500, even in 2000, I think five stocks were 15% of the S&P 500. We were way beyond what I thought valuation should be. And so I looked at energy and I said, sticky inflation, okay, energy should do well as an inflation hedge, so should materials, things that um, uh, can, can uh, uh, do well from an earnings perspective. And I looked at the last five years, so we're talking January 2022, I looked five years, and to my dismay, oil prices had doubles and energy equities that were paying 4% were flat. How is this possible? It, I was scratching my head and I said, there's clearly a mispricing in the market. Now, we know that energy equities suffered tremendously in March um, of 2020 when oil went uh, negative, um, but clear, it, was, it, was, it was clear to me that technology and energy would have a rotation. Um, flows would leave technology and they would come into energy. And so, so yeah. Lisa, let me interrupt for yeah. one second. So for everyone in the room, I'll explain how it works later. Up at the top is something called the Nest. And Lisa, I put the graphs you sent me. Okay. For everyone who wants to follow along, they're up in the Nest, just so you know, the energy sector relative energy against tech, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So if you want to speak to those graphs, just know that the audience can see the graphs. Okay, so fantastic. Ahead. So the energy sector relative, um, you can see in the last, um, uh, on the, on the uh, x-axis, you've got 2020 and beyond. So really, we're at, in January, we're at 4%, 3, 3.5%, 4% of the S&P was energy. And this, to me, when technology was, um, I think technology was 28 from a forward PE, it, it, it made no sense to me. And you had supply constraints on oil, so wonderful fundamentals around oil because you had um, underinvestment in energy infrastructure. We know that the majors here, um, you know, ha have not invested um, like they did in 2010 to 2014 when they had 1,300 to 1,600 rigs. You know, what was it? The start of the year, could it be 400, 500? Is it 700 now? And forgive me for not having the exact number. But the point is, we were vastly and continue to be vastly underinvested in, um, in, in energy infrastructure. And so to me, I said, okay, we have oil prices that doubled, yet at the time when oil prices were this in 2010 to 2014, 
we had vast number of rigs um, that allowed, was it cowboy drilling oversupply. So I didn't think that we were going to, and I still don't think that we're going to um, have an oversupply of oil. Um, so, 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 so Lisa, so let me ask you, fast forwarding to where we are right yep. now, good uh, 2022. Yeah. Uh, recently, uh, the price of oils sold off significantly. Yep. You know, crude peaked back in June, yeah. had, had a bit of a rebound. It's fallen pretty sharply the last couple of mm-hmm. weeks. The stocks are holding them pretty okay, but they've started taking on some gas, no pun intended. Yeah. So, okay, you know, you're you're always adjusting your portfolio as fundamentals change. And you're probably thinking about the year ahead. Yeah. So on a mark-to-market basis, what do you, how, how, how's, how's your thought process evolved? What are you thinking right now? Yeah. What do you think? What do you think particularly, for instance, the divergence between the price of oil and the fact that oil stocks, energy stocks are held in pretty well? Like, what, what, how does that speak to you? So I love it because October 5th, when um, the Saudis and OPEC basically gave the middle finger to Biden, um, it to me said that we are going to have PEs increase in the energy space. You tell me. So PEs on a forward basis, and these are back in October, so they're not going to be that much different. But why is energy forward PEs for 12 months with an eight handle, when you have industrials at 15, you've got consumer staples at 19, you have healthcare at 16. And I said to myself, and I sent out some um, emails to people to have the discussion, I said, why can't, from, from the willingness to restrict supply, yes, energy is cyclical, so is industrials, so is financials, but why should we be stuck in a low PE environment when we're willing to cut supply when um, the price goes down. And so we're basically going to manage the cost of oil. It's not going to be all or nothing. And so it's no surprise to me that, I mean, I'm very elated, but the fact that oil has gone 20 uh, down um, and energy equities have outperformed by 20%. Right. Energy equities have done 20 percent better than the cost of oil from um, October 5th. And so that incident only emboldened me to believe that um, if we go very, very, very top down, um, that the regime should remain. I think that interest rates will be sticky, um, whether the terminal rate is five or five. 25 early next year. Um, the point is, is I don't think we're going to um, have massive amounts of interest rate cuts. So I do think that value is going to continue to do well, outperform growth, and energy is going to be a leadership right. leadership in that category. So nothing has changed. Listen, I, I was not happy over the summer when energy equities corrected by, you know, whether the XLE went from 93 down to in, you know, low 60s. That was super uncomfortable, but nothing had changed. Nothing. So, had- so, right. So, so Lisa, so, so that's just, so you know, there are a lot of uh, energy groupies in, in these rooms. We have a uh, I'm actually a charter member of the so-called Canadian oil mafia. Um, and, they, and they're all gung-ho on energy stocks. So like you're, you're throwing, you're throwing red meat to the, to the lions here. <laughs> um, yeah. so, 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 so Lisa, so let me ask you, um, yeah. 
you know, one of the things you you, you 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 march to the beat of your own drum. You're not you're you're I don't want to use the term contrarian, but you're you're an independent thinker. Yeah. Um. And and you we were laughing. You were explaining to me the other day, and you mentioned it earlier in this convo how, you know, one of the wealth managers you talk to, they're constrained. They can only move within ten percent bands. Um. Uh, so you know, if energy is four percent of the index, it only can be four point four percent. Yeah. So to the extent you're comfortable talking about it, mm-hmm. you like energy. How big? Do you, can you talk about how exposed? How big are you in energy right now? I'm bigger than you think I would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm an energy bull, and let's just say um, I I don't like the other sectors. This is the only sector I really believe in. I you know once upon a time um, earlier this year I had exposure to materials, but I was concerned about the demand um, uh, structure for materials and you know I, I got that right for a little bit but we've had a massive rally since with the dollar selling off so um, I am almost I'm pretty much exclusively energy there okay, you made so, me, you made me say it oh there you go there you, you go well say it. <laughs> oh no again, again this is not investment advice yeah. so, so 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 lisa you know there's we've got a lot of smart people in the room we're all just trying to help each other no one has a monopoly yeah. on the truth so for the average person at home who's trying to figure out what to do i mean look let's be real here even yeah. for professionals it's, this is hard this is not an easy market yeah um what you know and you, and you think about the average person you probably have some of these folks as clients for your ria and, you know, they're stuck in either, you know, they're putting 60-40 funds or index funds or yeah. crazy, you know, high P loss making growth funds that should remain nameless, whatever. OK. Yeah. So, like, from a portfolio standpoint, I mean, we're not interested yeah. in picks. We're not interested in picks here. Let's be very clear. Yeah. But from sort of a portfolio structure standpoint, um, can you just weigh in about your sort of views on, you know, active versus passive. Like, what, what what should the average person do? Should they be in index funds? Should they be making big bets? Should they find, should they, you know, be in short duration assets as opposed to long duration? Should they avoid bonds? Like, what sort of general advice, given your global view, would you give to the average person in the room? Yeah. So, um, so that's a that's a great question. I mean, listen, if you slice your S and P five hundred, you can pick sectors that are tied to the macro environment and outperform the S&P 500. Um, I have a friend who um, wants to be more diversified, but I said, if you wanted to, I wouldn't own any bonds because I don't see where the upside in owning bonds is. you know, we we're going to have sticky inflation. I don't think, um, you know, you and I talked that I have no idea how people think we're going to get back to a 2% um, regime when we're going to war with China and we have inflationary pressures on the commodity side. Um, and if we are at peak dollar, is that going to further um, uh, underwrite uh, uh, a rise in commodity prices. I, you know, I think so. Um, and so I think if I were a retail investor, what I would be doing is looking at the sectors that I think have a reasonable valuation and where the macro, um, can, can, uh, I think, I think put a floor 
on any downward pressure and in the next uh, several years um, enable them to outperform. So for example, if we think, um, you know, utilities, utilities are boring, but they pay a yield. And if you think that we're range bound in yields from a 10 year, utilities will probably just be a very fine place. And I would rather own utilities than bonds. So I could look for utilities as a bond surrogate. You could look for energy as a bond surrogate only to the extent that it pays a very good dividend and you're getting it with a super low valuation. So when it comes to risk aversion to the extent that bonds are a diversification mechanism, and by the way, you know, everybody was so freaked out about the wealth destruction of 2022. It really only was because bonds fell out of bed. I mean, it was the worst in, in since, uh, what, 19, worse in, in 50 years, is that bonds, bonds got absolutely slaughtered. But if you look at, if you look at just the equity market, um, you had bond surrogates in there. And so I would look at, um, I would look at uh, tech and consumer discretionary and consumer services. I wouldn't touch them. And the reason is, is because whatever got you into this downdraft of a, of a bear market is not going to lead you out of the bear market. So if tech went up almost 10% from the spring of 2009 and consumer discretionary was slightly less, you're not going to um, do well to still own those stocks. You have to be in leadership. And so if we take those sectors off the table, then you're left with industrials, financials, healthcare, um, energy, materials. And so I would look to those, which funny enough are, you know, a lot of the constituents of value. I mean, value is only down 8% year to date on the Russell 1000. Um, compared to like 26% on growth. So value is hanging in there. And I think part of that is because we have a regime change and people are getting out of growth and flows, you know, I'm sure are going into those. Um, in, in, so I, I think industrials were, I didn't want to touch industrials in January, um, but now I believe that we're topping out on the dollar only because you have ECB and other central banks actually having the guts to to raise rates and counter with what the Fed's doing. So I think you could, as a retail investor, buy um, XLI, which is the um, the sector for industrials. I don't love financials. I mean, we have a hugely inverted yield curve. So you, I have a the last slide of the yield curve uh, uh, flattening. I think it's at 68 basis points today. Um, and, you know, I think financials are holding in there because they're so well capitalized. I mean, I heard a crazy number associated with JP Morgan. They have over $1 trillion of cash. I don't even know how that's possible, but fair enough, far, far be it for me to question. But you have um, financials, I think, are doing well just because, you know, the money's got to go somewhere. If you're going to be in equities, it has to go somewhere if it's leaving tech, consumer discretionary and consumer um, services. And so I would do energy. I would do consumer staples. Um, 
you know, I think if we have uh, uh, inflation, if it's if it's in peak inflation, I think the cost structure will be um, uh, alleviated from the pressures it's been against. And so that's what I would do. I would I would create a value portfolio based upon the available sectors that have not been leadership from 2009 so, to 2022. That's fantastic, Lisa. So. Can I infer that um, based on what you just said in our conversation the other day that you're pretty excited um, with respect to the opportunities for active management going forward? Yes. So there's a chart equal weight outperforming market weight. And, you know, we've had um, up until 2022 from from 2000 and I don't know, I guess uh, 13 when we had the rise of the new bull market. Um, and you can see the bull market on the long term, long term focus chart. Um, and I think right there from 2013, the equal weight was dramatically um I'm sorry, the market weight was dramatically outperforming the equal weight. Well, that's changed. And the reason why that's changed is that we've had um, uh, piercing the bubble. Um, so if you have uh, the IT, um, it's gone from a forward PE of 28 to 20. Consumer discretionary, I guess because of Amazon, went from 37 to 23. And so active managers can take advantage of this and um, for the first time, I think in a long time, outperform the S&P 500 um, because we still have a lot of heavy weight to um, get rid of. I mean, the top five stocks are still 20% of the S&P 500. That's still crazy to me. Right. That's, that's terrific. So it's funny because, you know, for a good number of years, uh, Active, I mean, active managers on the average underperform the market. We we know that because the sum of all portfolios is equal to the market returns less commissions. Has to be its identity. But sometimes you go through periods where it's particularly acute, and that was the case for a number of years. The liquidity driven market just ran over everybody. It reminds me, of my first experience with that was in Japan in the '80s, and and you know sometimes I'm, I'm fond of saying sometimes the market makes you look dumber than you really are. Sometimes it makes you look smarter than you really are, but I couldn't agree with you more, Lisa. And um, I think it's a particularly exciting time. And Lisa, what do you make of the idea too that you know sometimes it's not so much what you own? I happen to agree with you on energy, but mm -hmm. there's you know you probably recall Charlie Ellis, the Losers Game. You know, just figure out what not to own. Right. And it's sort of like I, I think when you were talking the other day, I, I was reminded of Michael Chang. You know, the the great tennis player who. Yeah. You know, he would he would never commit an unforced error. He'd make you beat yourself. So I know it's kind of a bizarre way of, of approaching markets, but in mm -hmm. the institutional world where you're going against a benchmark, if you just want to outperform, yeah. sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's easier, easier to figure out what you don't want to own. Yeah, just just avoid that. And so what I'm excited by it's not just I, I concur with your view on energy, but there's a lot of stuff out there it seems to me which is just tremendously unattractive and. A lot of those things happen to have pretty good market cap. So right. if we just avoid that index everything else, <laughs> we should do all right, no? Well, I think you are the king of finding the unattractive stocks <laughs> and, and abusing them uh, like no other. Um, so, so I 
like you're short of the arc trade um, because she's stuck in a vortex of a mission where she's trying to find um, stocks that uh, disrupt and are innovation oriented. But by definition, that means you're not earning money, that you are a loss uh, producer. You don't have cash flow. You can't give anything back to shareholders through dividends. And so I wouldn't touch a stock right now, um, even though I think they've gotten crushed and could they um, you know, start to rally a little bit. I wouldn't touch a stock that's not making money now. And that's why value is doing well is because the sectors that I mentioned all have a dividend. Um, and they have a pretty reasonable dividend, um, you know, and, and, and I didn't talk about healthcare before I apologize, but healthcare would be another defensive sector that that happens to do very well um, in a dollar strengthening environment. Um, Lisa, yeah. let me ask you a different question. So yeah. uh, one of my favorite questions, and I don't think I threw this one at you. So, you know, we all have opinions. This is going to do better than that. The market's going to go up. The market's going to go down. Yeah. But what I also find really interesting it's not just and I always ask I always ask myself, I ask others, it's not just what is your opinion, mm-hmm. but what is the strength of your conviction? Because you know, not all opportunity sets are created equal. Sometimes yeah. sometimes the ball looks I mean, you're you're a former she won't tell you this, but she told me this everywhere in the room. She's a former All American lacrosse player, just so you know. Okay, you got everyone got that? Okay, so there. Second, there. second, there. second team. I don't want to overstate. All right, okay, fine. <laughs> that, that, that's school in Boston. Okay, so sometimes the goal looks probably as wide as you know the ocean. It's like you know, it's yeah. like oh my god. Yeah. And other times it's like it's like you've got a pea shooter. You can't. It's like impossible. So I guess the question I put to you is like, yeah. your views are clear, but. Is in, in sort of the continuum of things, is this a pretty, are you pretty highly convicted on these views relative to, you know, other, other beliefs you've had in the past? Yes. In fact, you don't have to have conviction from an individual sector basis when you have interest rates at zero. Um, your conviction is, Tina, and it becomes that you have uh, a willingness to embrace the equity market. Um, because it's very difficult to falter when your opportunity cost is that you earn nothing in a CD. Um, And so I certainly believed in the equity market before, but I believed in the thesis that there was no alternative. Now I'm forced to say, okay, do I like the equity market? Now you and I might differ a little bit on this, um, whereas I think that we can have a bit of bullish tendencies in the next several years. Um, but now I have an individual sector belief, energy, um, and that's uh, like technology in the past was my conviction, but that was kind of buried in my excitement for the equity markets based upon where interest rates were. Now I look at the um, the sectors and you know, you have to really say, why would you want value over growth? Um, you know, what, what, is, what is the uh, benefit to those individual sectors that, you know, map to the macro? And so I would say this is the first time, um, you know, I've, I've had uh, excitement around value uh, for obvious reasons and specifically on commodities.
That's terrific. And Lisa, um, let's let's turn it on. Let's try and turn this argument on, on its head. Okay. Let, let's say you come back in this space six months from now. Yeah. And on the way to the bank, it didn't quite work out the way you thought it was going to work out. Because, like, you know, in any investment we make, there's always risks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'd say, well, those are less, you know, there's less likely risks or whatever. But what are you concerned about with the energy trade? I mean, yeah. Global reset. Like, like, if it turns out it doesn't work out the way you expect, well, what do you mm-hmm. think the most likely reason will be? Uh, Would it be recession, for instance? Well, Let's talk about absolute versus relative, because on a relative basis, if you're patient and you have a medium term mindset, like a long only manager. Uh, I mean, for maybe for instance, are you concerned that the energy stocks do? Yeah. Are you are you concerned that while the energy stocks may do well, they may get dragged down by a big market decline? So they might do well in relative terms, but they're not. Terms they may not do well. Yeah. Like, so, so I, I, I'm convinced that energy is going to outperform simply because of the supply restrictions from underinvestment. I don't think are going to reverse. Um, I don't see that energy companies are excited to overinvest and certainly the pressures from um, ESG investing uh, uh, do the majors no favors. And so what would concern me? Um, Certainly oil going below $70. That would have to be, in my mind, based upon demand destruction. But if we have demand destruction... Um, we're going to have interest rates uh, rapidly, I think, going down, um, you know, significant demand destruction. And then that, in my mind, because the Fed would be leading that, that would um, have the dollar uh, destabilize, lose value, and I think add some floor to the oil trade. But I would have to um, reconsider if I felt that oil was going to rapidly decline. But as I said before, uh, oil prices over the last five years have um, really rallied where energy equities hasn't done a lot. I mean, if I told you that energy equities from uh, January of 2009 to when I put on this trade only went up like 25% uh, relative to technology that was 10x. I mean, there is room for uh, continued outperformance only because if we have this regime change, people are getting out of tech. I mean, when you look at the subsectors of technology and the subsectors of energy, they're compressed. In other words, they all look like each other. Nobody's making any discernible um, uh, views on the subsectors. And so in my mind, when I looked at investor sentiment, that means there's a wholesale exodus out of technology and there's a wholesale um, entrance into energy. 
Um, for a long time, energy has just been left behind and people are waking up. And part of that is, you know, it's probably scary as an investor, an institutional investor to buy energy when the administration is so against it. Um, in, in, you know, you and I talked about this administration is a disastrous energy policy when it comes to uh, uh, delivering a transition away from fossil fuels. It's, you, you can't have all or nothing. And the last time I looked, if you drive into the cities um, and you look at uh, some lower income uh, populations, they're not putting solar panels on their house. They're not buying an EV car. They are forced to put oil in their cars and drive to work. Um, and so I think right now, uh, with the administration being so anti um, oil and gas, we're going to continue to have an underinvestment. But going back to your question, if oil crashed, you know, that's a concern. But again, our oil companies have gotten dramatically smarter and their cost per barrel, I don't know, is it $40, $50? I mean, there's a lot of money to be made, even at $70 uh, a barrel right. for oil. So Lisa, I was, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'd like, to, I'd like folks in the audience, please raise your hand if you got a question for Lisa. I want to shift gears just a little bit, okay. Lisa. Uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of energy folks in the room, so yeah. if they want to weigh in uh, with their opinion or have a question for you, yeah. uh, I see a lot of our friends in Katie Romoff here in the room, or Dave Nikoski, if you've got some views, you want to talk about the charts on the energy stocks, that'd be great. Um, Lisa, just just talk about the bit the business of investment. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have a significant disdain for the closet indexation yeah. and, and, and no one's taking risk. Uh, you know, you used to work in a big institution. I'm sure you still have a lot of friends that work at these places. Yeah. Um, is it the fact that you march to the beat of your own drum, you're an independent thinker, that, you know, you try to uh, strive for excellence, is that kind of what keeps that keeps you away from working it, you know, a big place you just can't i mean just talk about your view of markets and the way and what and what, how you would have to compromise your own yeah values and perspectives if you worked at a big institution i think that'd be used very helpful especially for the folks in the room who have not worked in the investment business maybe just talk a little bit about what it's actually like working in the industry well i think um i'll never go back uh to the industry and in, 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 within my experience, you know, what the future holds uh, that would allow me to um, maintain my intellectual independence, um, that would be paramount. But I think what happens in institutions is there's a group think that, you know, starts swelling up from the bottom because everybody wants to be um, considered a team player. Uh, and, and people, I'm sure, don't want to lose their jobs by going out on a limb. And what happens is, is that you stick to benchmarks. And, you know, I think that it's easier for a sell side or a buy side institution to tell a client, oh, yeah, we're down, but the market's down. I'm sorry, we're 70 basis points better or we're 70 basis points worse. 
were uh, worse than the market. To me, that was extraordinarily frustrating. And I think that is, you know, the mediocrity of the industry is that um, people are afraid to put their money where their mouth is. And if, um, or, you know, if they're, if they do that and they don't do well, um, that they're afraid to sell what they own. I once worked with a portfolio manager. He goes, Lisa, Lisa, you know, I have to love all my children. And I said, what? I said, I, I have to love all my children. Every single stock in my portfolio, I have to love. And I said, really? I said, so, you know, how long is it going to take you to sell a stock that you love? What are you going to be waiting for? And so um, he didn't. So, so Lisa, so, so I have to break in. So, so, so he's not a believer in Schindler's List, right? He couldn't, right. He, he couldn't make a choice. <laughs> Sorry. Oh God. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I think the thing that um, wreaks havoc in this industry is that people don't sell when they should sell. And, you know, you said Kathy Woods is like the queen of this and she keeps buying, um, you know, Coinbase or Roku or whatever she keeps buying of her top holdings, um, you know, if she were to look at charts and look at charts over time, she would know that that's just a bad trade, but she's in a mission. She has new money and she's got to put it to work. So, you know, I don't know what she could do. I don't know what her limits are in holding cash, but I think that, um, I, I think that the industry has got fat and happy and it's discouraging to me because, you know, I think there's a lot of mediocrity and people, people, people just do what they need to do in my mind to um, keep clients and to um, basically earn their fees so that um, they can keep themselves personally afloat. And so, you know, I'm sorry for the cynic attitude. I've lived it. I've lived it in a lot of different places. And it's a luxury to have intellectual flexibility and honesty and to be able to put your money where your mouth is. But if you feel like you're wrong in January 2022, I was like, I'm wrong. There's no way that technology and small cap stocks are going to continue to outperform when the regime changes. And so I was pleased that I could make the switch for myself, my family, or my clients, because that's what you have to do. You have to know and be intellectually honest with yourself to know when things have changed and that you're wrong. So wait, so wait, Lisa, 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 Lisa. You mean to tell me you're not glued to the TV watching Kramer every night at six o'clock? He's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, God bless him. He probably has lots of houses and, you know, people watch him, but he sells hysteria. He's crazy. Oh, God. All right. So, all right. Now let's open up to some questions. A lot of smart folks in the room. Don't hide. O'Hare, Ken, Shabam. Uh, have at it. Uh, let's give Lisa. Let's 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 open up this convo. Let's get the food fight started. All right. So, uh, Michael, um, you've been waiting patiently. Um, please unmute yourself. You got a question for Lisa, Michael? Um, I would say that. What if it's on nineteen twenty nine? 
what if demand keeps shrinking? And there's a very big look. If you can look up my tweets, you can see that in you know in the crash of oil in 2020, I was bullish oil. Mm-hmm. But but what if the demand keeps shrinking and things keep crashing? I'm Mr. 1929, and I went to Horace Mann. I never went to uh, an Ivy League school, so maybe I have a chip on my shoulder. But so, what if that's the case? What if it's a deflationary scenario? I haven't heard anything mm-hmm. in any of these rooms, in mm-hmm. any of these spaces, as to what if it's deflationary. That's my question. So, Michael, what would cause deflation? Um, you know, right now, the, the money in the system is pretty vast. Um, we're in the middle. Uh, I, I, I don't see deflation for the next. If I have a window and I have an investment window, I just don't see how 1929, where we had no liquidity, and the banks have shored up liquidity uh, because of 2008. I don't see where we have a crisis of that magnitude. In fact, you know, when people are worried about the equity markets now in an inflationary regime, and they're as nervous today as they were in 2008 when we were on the brink of a financial system collapse, it makes no sense to me to equate those two things. So I don't see deflation from a demand perspective when we have an employment um, uh, uh, employment in the U.S. that's healthy and that we have job out openings vastly outweighed by those looking for jobs. So that's the problem is that there's too many people um, that are being employed at the moment. And obviously technology companies have started coming out because you know Mark Zuckerberg finally realizes he has a major business to support as opposed to the metaverse that's sucking up all his expenses. We have you know every of the, the five stocks, the top five, they're laying off. But at the moment, I, I, I do not see I, I don't. I don't see a deflationary okay. environment. I mean, I, listen, that's it's a clear risk. It's just not something you're overly concerned with right now. Thanks yeah. for the question, Michael. Let's move along here. I want to go in rapid fashion. We have the rooms filling in very nicely. So let's start with uh, Dave Nikoski. Dave, uh, always you, you've been you've been very uh, uh, you've had you've been very right on energy stocks. Um, bullish earlier in the year, you turned cautious. Now you got your foot in the accelerator again. Last time we spoke, so. I don't know. Any, what, what's your, what is your sort of updated views on energy? And do you have a question for uh, Lisa? I certainly, uh, I, I have both. Um, you know, I, was that Russian disinformation that came out about oil today, or is that just the Wall Street Journal? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, we we maintain our bullish stance in oil. And, you know, even even on the pullback, what, which amazes me. And if you look back at that ninety eight to two thousand two time period, I keep bringing up. You know, the the dirty tanker index is, you know, back at highs last seen in 04. So it's taken out that whole period from 04 to 09. Um, I think it was up 7.65% yesterday. 
or over the weekend on that index. But, you know, the tanker stocks, you know, I'm not a fundamentalist, but I certainly dig into it. You know, if you recall that period, 98 to 2002, there was about 500 tankers that were scrapped for um, literally for the for the metal in them. And through this last cycle, we we lost somewhere around 300 to 330, the best I can uh, determine. But, you know, those those I mean, for, as a technician, you know, they. They are unbelievable charts, and some are way ahead of the others. You know, you got Scorpio tankers, um, absolutely gorgeous. But, you know, your double hull tanker, DHT, um, boundary is, I should say. David, that's all great. But I'm just yeah. curious, more generally, you know, with XLA, XOP, the integrateds, et cetera, et cetera, the crude. Yeah, what do those charts look like to you? Just healthy pullbacks so far? Well, just healthy pullbacks. I mean, if you look at a twenty-year chart of them, it's you know it's incremental in terms of you know the contrast of what pullbacks look look like when you're in a secular bull market. And it, you know, to me, it has not changed whatsoever. Um, like I said, you know, we we were cautious, and you know, we're full steam ahead. And today, you know, certainly made you glance at the screen and you know take a second look, but. You know, from what I see is, you know, there's there's secular in nature. Don't pay attention to the daily wiggles. Look at the weekly and monthly charts, and it'll it'll keep you on the right course. That's great. Appreciate so, that. And it's a breath of uh, fresh air um, listening to Lisa speak because it's everything she's gone over is exactly our view. Um, you know, the, the weighting of of tech and versus energy and the, the historical dynamics of, you know, a sector getting to 30 percent of the market or the large caps. You know, you know, what's funny is if you pull up the Tesla chart, you know, S&P's at a two year high versus Tesla now. So Tesla is not having the impact that everyone thought it would in terms of the index now. Um, but, you know, industrials, absolutely fantastic. You know, I'm right. watching uh the dry bulk you know the bdry index is is got a triple bottom but you know i i heard lisa talk a little bit about materials too and they're you know you have a number of material stocks that are hitting new highs today so um great. keep in mind thanks for that dave yeah okay, well, well, all right so let's go my good friend ken uh ken please unmute yourself you have a question for lisa or any any comments yeah, first of all, I, I'm really glad you're doing this space today. Uh, Lisa, you kind of triggered me because <laughs> you're not supposed to, like, vary your opinion. You're supposed to always have the same opinion <laughs> and let the facts come to you. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's beautiful that you uh, are willing to um, adjust your approach for the facts on the ground. And so what I'm wondering is, I mean – this year has been the year of the strong dollar and the Fed demolition of the stock market. Do you have an opinion on um, about how long away are we that the Fed can can maybe take a little bit of the pressure off? Because it would seem like the dollar going down would be the call for next year. Right. And, and Lisa, unlike, unlike – uh most stock pickers who wave off any macro questions you stake that your territory so you get no free hall pass on this one we're waiting <laughs> we're waiting we're waiting for your answer lisa okay i think i have an answer um so i think the u.s dollar is not all about the fed it's about the coordination across global central banks and we know 
we know Japan isn't going to do a thing uh, because they don't believe there's inflation. And, you know, what they're doing by um, holding down interest rates so low is they're taking it on the chin with their currency. So given that the dollar is in part um, uh, the yen, it's going to remain um, strong. Uh, but it's really about the ECB and how much uh, uh, fortitude they have in combating inflation, given the, you know, the, the um, demand construction there. So, you know, I think that the dollar hit uh, the 200 day moving average and it's bounced off of that. Um, do I think that, um, you know, the, the euro can go back to 80 cents, the all-time low, if that's about what it was? Um, that's in the hands of the ECB. And I believe that uh, the dollar is going to be range-bound. You know, the terminal rate in, in, you know, people have, from a future standpoint, look at about 5.25%, 5%. You know, is that another 100 basis points-ish? Is it two rate hikes? Okay, get it over with. Um, But the fact is, is that I think the dollar, um, because the ECB, which I believe is 50% of the weighting in the uh, dollar index, they're looking to raise significantly in December. And my guess is that they're going to take note from what the Fed did. So long story short, I think that the dollar is possibly range bound here. I think that is good for um, commodities, obviously not to have it go to where there's upper resistance, which I think is, um, I don't know, it's around 122. But the point is, is that it's the Fed is going to raise rates two more times. And if they don't sit and wait, I'd be surprised because of the CPI and the PPI, um, which allowed the S&P to have a, you know, a very, very uh, healthy 5% um, daily return. Um, I think that's... uh, I, I think the Fed would be um, astute to wait. And if they do wait, that's going to take pressure off the dollar. It's going to it's going to have uh, the euro um, rally and that's going to be good for the stock market. Do you have an opinion on the S&P earnings? Um. You know, some people that uh, George and I follow are very bearish. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I I have an opinion on energy earnings. Um, I believe that the dollar, if we uh, uh, weaken, is going to be helpful for uh, global revenues and therefore um, kind of a windfall to earnings that people aren't expecting. Um, but because I'm so focused on the macro and its feed-through cycle of price, um, I just look at what people put in front of me and whether 180, I think, is low. Um, even George said, what happens if it's 200? Um, I look at the 
PEs because earnings is half the is half the game. The question is, if interest rates go down, PEs are going to go up. And so I'll answer this in a different way. We're 180 days into the 50-day moving average being below the 200-day. Let's say 180-ish. Now, the average bear market or deep bear markets, um, I think, are in the high 300s. So that means we need another 180, 200 days. So it takes us into 2023. I personally think that the S&P found its low. Um, I know George doesn't, so we'll have fun talking about that, um, <laughs> you know, in the in the months to come. But there's a lot of uh, sideways action and repair that the S&P 500 can go through. And remember, technology and consumer discretionary and communication services, they can just get beaten and beaten and beaten with the rotation flowing to other sectors to steady the overall S&P 500. I think I counted up the um, percentage allocations of the typical um, value sectors. And I think we're at 50% of the market now. And so really it's about what's happening um, and the catalyst to help earnings, so a weaker dollar. Um, and uh, I, I personally think that the S&P is going to repair and value is going to continue to outperform growth. And next year, um, you know, if we look at the long-term focus chart that has this, um, uh, it's the black rectangle, and you can see that we've had three generational pauses in the market since the 30s, and this is the shortest bull market that we've been in. It was 13 years in the 50s. It was 18 years in the 80s and the um, 90s, and we're only nine years in. We're nine years in from 2013. And so I'm not ready to throw in the towel to say that this bull market is over. When you look at a 30-year channel um, and you see that the S&P 500 only pulled back to the middle of the channel. If it pulled back to the bottom of the channel, it would be 3,300. And George, that may be where you think it's going. Um, but right now, um, I think you could consider that healthy pullback. Um, and certainly, if we pop the passive in, uh, bubble, um, that I think is constructive. So I believe value is going to lead us out of this. <clears throat> it's going to take a while. Um, but I don't believe that we're going to have deflation. Um, and I look that PEs will, um, I think, counter any revisions of um, earnings destruction for 2023. Thanks for the detailed answers. This was fantastic. No, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. George, wake up. <laughs> oh, hello. No, I was talking. I'm sorry. I didn't hit this. I was talking to myself. <laughs> sorry, I, I had the mute button on. 
So, uh, Ken, if you wouldn't mind dropping back into the audience, also Dave Nikoski, just because we're trying to get other people up here, and the app is acting kind of weird on me right now. So, all right, let's try to move it along. And let's we got a bunch of speakers, so I want to kind of keep the pace up here a little bit. Let's try and keep it brief. All right, so, um, uh, Lisa, we have uh, some rank and file from the Canadian Oil Mafia in our presence. Uh-uh. Um, so we're first going to go to uh, my friend Deep Marcellus and then Shabam. Hey, Deep Marcellus, haven't talked to you for a while. What's up? You got any comments or questions for uh, Lisa? Doing well, George. Um, I, I have a couple questions, and, and they're not actually inter- energy specific, so you might be disappointed there. Um, everybody here knows George. Uh, I'm relieved. <laughs> George certainly knows that I'm a big bull on energy. But I have a question. I, I want your opinion on this topic between, you know, Fed funds rate and inflation. You know, historically speaking, when inflation is, is broken 8%, it's literally taken years for it to get back down to the 4 or 5% area, let alone 2%. Yep. Yep. We see a market that's telling us that they expect uh, inflation to be below 3% next year. And I'm trying to figure out where, where this disconnect is coming from because – uh, to me, a lot of people are, are about to get caught off sides, and I, I just can't yeah. can't see where that's coming from, and I, I don't understand it. I'm just curious to your, your thoughts there. So so I, I, that's a great question, and I guess the only thing that I can assume that um, supports a 3% inflation or 4% inflation would be the year-on-year comps. So remember... You know, CPI was supposed to be 7.9%, and oh my goodness, it was 7.7, and the market rallies 5%. But the point is, is that you have um, super high inflation now, and so I think that inflationary pressures from a year-on-year comp or a month-on-month comp uh, next year will be um, advantageous. And so that's how I look at it, but... You know, George and I were saying, I don't know how you ever get to two um, percent when we have industrial onshoring, we have commodity inflation. Um, you know, the dollar if it if it uh, drops back a little bit. So, you know, I think it's a great question that you ask, and the only way that I can um, put my head around it is just if we look at annualized numbers. Thanks for that. Marcellus, you have a, uh, Marcellus, you got a follow up or was that it? No, it's just, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm having, I guess the same problem you are is trying, trying to wrap my head around how, how this is, uh, you know, an an event that's, that won't follow historical uh, precedents. So um, they're just, if from an inflationary standpoint, um, you know, I, I guess we could get a down, downward pulse, but it's, but it would only, in, in turn, support uh, more inflation coming out of any kind yeah. of downward because of the, you know, the, the lack of capex and commodities. For yeah. Yeah, but Marcellus, if you didn't listen to us and anyone in the room who didn't, we had Vincent Delaward in the room last Thursday and he was fantastic. Go on the YouTube channel, uh, go on my YouTube channel's recording of it. He gave a really good historical context as to how we got to where we got to. And his view is that, you know, we're 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 good for four or five percent inflation, if not more, into the foreseeable future. And I actually views that as a good thing, not a bad thing, because mm-hmm. it will help uh, address some of the imbalances in the economy. But he says it far more articulately than I ever could. So I urge everyone to listen to the replay of that space we did 
last Thursday. Uh, Marathon, you've been popping in and out, so uh, please unmute yourself. You have a, a question for Lisa or a comment? Yeah, thanks, George. Great space as usual. And uh, Lisa, really, really enjoyed it today. We've got one place where we, we very much agree, and that's the energy space, another where maybe we see things a little bit differently. So on, on the energy side, yeah. do you have any thoughts about um, investing in non-North American energy stocks? Uh, and just because the flow, strong dollar and flows to U.S. and and North American assets, you know, most of the U.S. and, and Canadian resource stocks are, you know, or energy stocks are, you know, within 10 or 15 percent of their highs. A lot of the global energy stocks are closer to their 52 week lows. Do you have any thoughts there? And if I could then ask a follow up on your thoughts on utilities. Yeah. Um, so so that's a great question. Um, you know, when we look at the energy sector, um, relative that's the s p but if you look at energy from a global perspective the chart still looks very compelling so maybe that is a testimony to the market caps of north america um, relative to the uh, globe um, and so i don't buy energy stocks outside of the U.S. simply because I didn't want to deal with, um, you know, the currency impact. Um, and certainly I was happy with the dollar when it was strengthening to own domestic um, energy stocks. But I will say that um, there is such a strong correlation. I'm a data junkie and, you know, I love just looking at uh, fact set with um, all the asset classes and I'm constantly trying to triangulate. And when Dollar Canada and not Aussie dollar, not New Zealand dollar, but when Dollar Canada um, weakens, meaning the Canadian dollar strengthens, energy stocks um, uh, do well. And so that is a currency pair that I look at. And to me, that probably has a high correlation to Canadian oil stocks. Um, but, you know, I look at BP. Uh, BP is, what, 5% below its high. That's done extraordinarily well, despite the um, profits tax. And so I... I prefer I prefer um, North American energy stocks. That's fair. Okay. Fair, Marathon, yeah, fair enough. Marathon, you, you had a follow up marathon about utilities. Yeah, you had you had mentioned uh, Lisa that you were generally constructive on utilities, and and yeah. so I, I'm I'm kind of a card carrying member of the free cash flow pig club, <laughs> um, and it's it's one of the reasons I like energy so much. Um, yeah. And utilities really don't fit that. In fact, they're kind of cash consumers. They sort of have to raise more debt to pay their yeah. dividends. Yeah. Multiples have expanded a bunch. And typically they act like kind of bonds in drag, except now they're actually acting way better than bonds. So yeah. just curious if you could kind of flesh out your, your, your more constructive view there. Yeah. So utilities are down just a little um, like 3.8% year to date. And so obviously that's a massive outperformer, but, you know, utilities are defensive. Um, they're not sexy. You don't want to own utilities, obviously, for the growth aspect. You own them for the income and, you know, income utilities did really well. But right now, utilities and cash rates are pretty much hand in hand. So you'd say, 
well, why do I want to own utilities relative to just um, putting my money in a bank in, in cash? Um, and and that's, a, that's a fair question, except I would say utilities is going to, or it looks to be, uh, accumulating flows that are moving away from those three sectors that I talked about that I don't like at all. And so I think it is a recipient of rotation and it will continue to be a recipient of rotation simply because of the yield characteristics that it has. Um, I think it's a great bond surrogate for the next several years as we think about it. Um, again, you know, I don't see that bond yields are going to collapse simply because I think inflation is going to be sticky and the Fed is going to be on guard. Um, so utilities, I think, is defensive. Um, and it's going to uh, outperform growth sectors simply because of the rotational um, gravity of, of money moving into it. Thanks, th th thanks for that. Fair points. Thanks. thanks for that. All right. We're going to go through a few quick. I want please keep the questions brief because uh, we're going to bring Bitfinex in here in a couple minutes. And uh, I'd like to give him a lot of time. It's rare that he speaks. So um, let's try to keep it tight so we can get to Bitfinex. Um, let's go to, uh, Hey, O'Hare, what's up, man? You got a question for Lisa? Oh, here. I don't know if you're there, but well, I'm here. I'm just uh, doing last minute shopping with my wife here for Thanksgiving. And I just found out everybody's out of turkeys. <laughs> so I should have, I should have bought a truckload of frozen turkeys. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, George, I, I'm in a lot of your spaces and I can tell you, this is probably your best guest so far. Uh, I mean, everybody's been good, but, uh, I like what I'm hearing from Lisa. Having having been doing this uh, for many years, so Lisa, I just had a couple questions. One, and by the way, I agree with most of everything you guys are talking about in terms of like, uh, you know, the passive versus active. In fact, I have a tw uh, a tweet that I've uh, <clears throat> posted to the top of my Twitter handle <clears throat> about that. Um, hold on a sec here. Let me just do this. All right. Can you hear me? Oh, here. Go for it. We got you. Go for it. Yeah, so I just had a quick question for Lisa about. Blacked out. You have. Oh here. Oh, oh sorry. Oh here. You... Yeah, there we go. I'm yeah, here. All right, all right, go ahead. We we couldn't hear you. All here, go ahead. Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was just getting in the car. So my question is, uh, it, with regard to your portfolio, Lisa, are you completely in energy, or are you covering any other sectors? And uh, what are your thoughts on uh, concentration uh, in terms of energy versus uh, you know staples versus uh, healthcare? Uh, you know, that type of thing. So like uh, concentration and, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, overall uh, risk management when it comes to, uh, you know, your active portfolio management. Yeah. So, so um, first of all, thanks for the compliment um, when you started out. Uh, listen, you know, I am not, uh, you know, do I look like a hedge fund? Maybe. Um, but, but, from a risk management standpoint, I'm not diversified. And the reason why I'm not diversified is because I'm not gonna buy a sector that I think is gonna go down and lose my own money. And therefore, I'm not gonna do that to another client. Um, and so from a diversification standpoint, I'll sit happy with the idea that in five or seven years, if I'm earning 5% uh, of my portfolio, because I have a lot of MLPs, 
Um, if I'm earning that and in, you know, let's say 10 years time, I go to bed at night now from all the volatility. I used to own small cap stocks. And if they had bad earnings, they'd be down 20%. And that is a very bad feeling. And so if I can just stick to a portfolio that mentally I believe is defensive and I could deliver returns of 50% over the next 10 years without doing anything just from a dividend accumulation, I'm happy with that. You know, if I feel that inflation is um, moderated and the dollar is going to continue to, to, to deteriorate, yeah, I'll buy some industrials. And I like, I like Caterpillar and, and, and John Deere, but, you know, you might as well buy a wheat stock, a, you know, wheat commodity, because that's what they're correlated with. So, you know, I'm small manager, so I realize that I'm not a Magellan fund at Fidelity that, yep. um, you know, from a mandate perspective, how has many, to be diversified. How many, gotcha. how many stocks do you own in your strategy, Lisa, total? So I am expressing my strategy through ETFs. So as a result, oh, okay. I'm diversified I under that. I see. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I we run a, a small mid cap value strategy. That's you know it's very concentrated. 20, 20 to thirty stocks at any one time. It's all yeah. individual securities, no ETFs, and uh, broadly diversified amongst uh, most, uh, but not all the uh, the gig sectors. But um, yeah. You know, and by the way, I, what you guys said about uh, passive versus active, you know, over the last 20 years with the advent of financial engineering, it's been much easier for it's been an asset gathering game as opposed to a, an alpha generation game. Yeah. And my partner and I, you know, in your sound, you, you sound like you're cut from the same cloth. I know George's, uh, you know, you either are in this business to create alpha by yeah. taking risk or yeah. you're in this business to assuage customers, play golf and and uh, acquire assets and just charge a nominal fee. I mean those right. are the two you know those are the two options you have in this business, right? Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately most people aren't willing to take the risk to to generate alpha. Everybody talks about generating oh, alpha, very few people yeah, actually so do. So here, oh here, I tell you what, we got I'm going to I'll give you an offline introduction at least you guys should talk cuz I think I think you're very, very like mine, birds of a feather, as they say. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, one one thing I would add, you asked about what George could do or what uh, what Kathy could do in terms of her portfolio, and I told this to George the other day on a space. I think uh, out of the seven and a half billion that ARKK has currently, yeah, uh, they should take a five percent allocation and put uh, so roughly about three hundred fifty million <laughs> and put it into Nope. Oh yeah. And I'm not I'm not kidding. I'm literally not kidding. You know. That that would be plenty. That would be plenty enough juice for our to to. Uh, oh here you you're, you're, oh here you're killing me, man. You're killing me. All right, listen. Let, let's yeah. let's just hold it right because I want to get Bitfinex here. I want to go quickly to a couple other guys, and then we're gonna get to Bitfinex. So, Gnostic, if you don't mind, I'm gonna you can hold you. We're gonna I'm gonna hold you in abeyance for when Bitfinex speaks. And ALB, unless you got something really hot, if you could wait for Bitfinex, I want to get to Shabam. And then we're going to go to Bitfinex. Shabam, uh, please unmute yourself. You're still there. What's up, Shabam? You got something to say about energy or something for Lisa? Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Uh, been a while, so thanks for hosting. Yeah, yeah, um, really good to hear from you. What's up, Shabam? What are you thinking, man? Yeah, you bet. I got a question for Lisa there. Uh, actually, I think the um, you mentioned this where, where there's this possibility of this sort of group think uh, on Wall Street and and also that there's a lot of money in the system now. So uh, do you think that that when the tide turns, when there's some sort of catalyst, and it could be various things that that people finally do start getting to, 
uh, energy, whether it's active or passively, that this run in energy as people start chasing yield, people start chasing cash flow, and then the entire money system sort of falls into this tiny little sector that energy has become, that this thing just skyrockets and becomes its own bubble over sort of a, 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 a shortish period of time. Is this, is this kind of what you think uh, may happen or is it going to be people just dip their toe in slowly and slowly and it just takes time yeah. uh, for that to happen? Uh, thanks. So um, that's a great question. Um, you know, right now, uh, there's no way that I think energy should be at six. Is it six percent of the S and P five hundred? Um, you know, if I believe just in 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 what I outlined that I think PEs are too low, why could why couldn't it be at fifteen? Okay. And if it's at 15, does that mean it doubles with oil prices being able to be the same? I, I think so. And so I think it's a slow and steady climb where institutional investors um, get to buy oil. First of all, you have to have institutional investors being able to embrace um, energy companies. A lot of them have mandates where they can't, uh, where they can't invest and, and their investors are, are getting abused. Um, because they're not able to get the one sector that's delivering positive returns. I mean, the earnings um, uh, for 2023, the revamp is something like down 10%. But if you throw in energy, it's down 7%. The point is, is that energy has the positive earnings. So I, again, I scratch my head. I don't understand why they're not buying soon enough. Um, but this takes time, just like technology took time to um, uh, build up into uh, the market valuations that we have today. So, you know, I think if we were to have a PE of 30, it would be because um, everything else has just collapsed. Lisa, right? Lisa, Lisa, I have to warn you. Yeah. You're solicitations from the Canadian oil mafia. I think they're going to nominate you to become a, a sort of card carrying member. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, maybe you, so the thing is you say it so nicely and so sweetly you can get away <laughs> with it all right so lisa so so hang there so we've been going this for an hour and a half um you've been you've been fantastic this has been awesome um if you don't mind with your permission i'm gonna give yes. you a rest you can feel free to drop out but we have probably the foremost expert on the crypto scam uh that i know uh, Bitfinex, and yes. he is literally, almost literally, in the Federal Witness Protection Program. Uh, he he is probably knows more about uh, what's happened and what's really going on than anybody. And he has, uh, in an unusual move, um, agreed to appear in public. And so, Bitfinex, if you are there, um, welcome. Um, Can I just say thank you to yeah. everybody for your uh, time and um, patience in, in uh, allowing me to talk? Hey, that's awesome. And George, before you, before you yep. go to BizConnex, Lisa, thank you very much. You brought balance and everything else. Please do come back. I think everybody in the room appreciates what you had to say. Thank you. Yeah. I will if I'm invited. I appreciate uh, it. You're, you're always invited. And you're, thank you. You already even come and just listen and whatever. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks, Lisa. Feel free to drop off or stay. Your call. Okay.